Hello and welcome to episode number 28 of West New York Brews. My name is Scott. I'm a homebrewer just outside of Buffalo, New York. And on this episode, we're talking about malt. It's one of the main ingredients in making beer. And we are seeing a resurgence, a renaissance. I always say that, right? Jeff Jeff is getting free publicity here. So we are seeing a growth, a boom in local malt again. So today I'm talking to Ted Holly from New York Craft Malt. Uh, you can find them at newyorkcraftmalt.com. And I'm talking to Bob Johnson from Niagara Malt, and you can find them at niagaramalt.com. Checking that. <laughs> yeah, niagaramalt.com. And they were both gracious enough to come on at the same time and talk about the process of malting and the history of malting and what they're doing in particular on their farms. They have other things going. They have uh, wood for smoking. They're smoking some malt. They are growing hops. And you're going to have to listen to the episode the whole thing through to see who is doing what. So we're going to talk to Bob Johnson and Ted Hawley. And I thank both of them for doing that. And like always, you can find West New York Brews on Facebook, WNYBrews.com, and on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash WNYBrews. We're on Untapped. Join me on Untapped. And if you haven't called in yet, we have a phone number. If you have a uh, beer that you want other people to try, something that, that you think is a hidden gem, especially in the city. If you went to one of the local breweries and you thought that one of the beers was just outstanding and you want to tell people about it, you can go to drinkthisbuffalo.com or just call the phone number at 716-391-CAST. That's 716-391-2278 and let us know what beer you're drinking so that we may drink it too. Once again, we're going to start our episode with You Can't Buy Beer with Condolences from the Rearview Ramblers off of their brand new CD or EP, excuse me, Buffalo Americana. You can find them on Facebook, on Reverb Nation or at rearviewramblers.com. I am currently drinking a Kolsch, a lime Kolsch. So if you want to drink with us, we are opening up in three, two, one. If you guys wouldn't mind starting by by introducing yourselves and a quick, say, 30-second uh, background on what you're doing. Who wants to go first? Go for it, uh, Ted. All right, Ted first. Time. All right. Uh, my name is Ted Hawley. Uh, I'm owner-operator or owner-maltster at New York Craft Malt, located in Batavia. Started my malting quest in 2011 and... And did a lot of research on uh, malting techniques and attended many schools and, and read a lot and uh, engineered my own equipment, most of it, and had it built. And uh, we went live with a product uh, about two years ago now. So we're, uh, we're making a lot of specialty malts and, and uh, for the brewing industry and distilling industry. We make about uh, four, five signature malts, and we make a lot of uh, uh, special request malts uh, as well with roasted and crystal and rye and uh, and wheat and uh, many different kinds of uh, other 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 kinds of malts that smoked with eight different kinds of woods and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's all good, all good, and we're we're doing very well at this. Excellent. And Bob, what are you doing? 
Well, I'm, I've been malting for about two years now. Um, I have the original system from Valley Malt, which were, they were kind of the uh, pioneers in the craft malting movement. They upscaled, uh, went, went to greater capacity, and I, I got their system, um, largely to learn malting on it. Um, I've, I read, read a bit and, um, watched a few videos and also went to, uh, the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center for Schooling, as well as kind of interning at Valley Malt and launched into it myself. And I have been doing ever since. I generally specialize in lighter malts, pilsners and carapils, um, also some wheat and rye. Mm -hmm. And, um, I do have a small hops yard, about an acre and a half of hops, so I'm trying to raise them organically. Matter of fact, for the past week, I've been uh, in the hop yard harvesting. Centennials are um, really coming on early. They love the heat. Gotcha. So they're, they're going great guns. Um, Willamette also, they're one of the more early varieties. So I'm looking at a Maybe a bumper crop of cascades as well. We'll see about that. The drought's been pretty hard on everything, though, but they're they're producing lots of cones. Good, good, good. I was also out in the field today doing uh, my bottom plowing. I've, I've got a 15-acre uh, uh, field that I'll be planting with spelt. So I'm going to be trying uh, to malt spelt and see how that works out. So Bob, how long you been you been producing to sell? We'll say um, to sell for about a year and a half now, and I've, I've been been uh, raising. I've, my hop yard is in its fourth year. As a matter of fact, the reason I got into malting is because as I went to various hops grower meetings, uh, people were talking about the New York Farm Brewery Act mm -hmm. that there looked like there might be sufficient hop farms coming online, but everybody was worried that there wouldn't be sufficient malt for uh, farm breweries to be able to meet their uh, specified volumes. Ted, about the same for you, too? Uh, you know, I was actually the first in New York State to uh, register a, a malt house in, in 100 years. and uh, In New York State? And, in the uh, whole state? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, that was in uh, early 2012, and I've been actually I'm just coming up on two years of uh, making malt for uh, and, and selling in the um, in the industry, and uh, we've, I've come a long ways. We've got a uh, drum roaster. Uh, we're smoking now. We're we're going to be specializing in uh, specialty malts here at New York Craft Malt uh, in the future. Uh, so we're we're doing a nice job with uh, pale malts and and Vienna's and. Uh, upstate hard red wheat. We've got we're trademarking our names on our on our malts right now. We have Erie Canal Pale Malt. We have Genesee Valley Vienna Upstate Hard Red Wheat and Excelsior Pilsner and Hudson River Rye. So uh, we're we're cranking out the uh, the malts here. So Ted, do you know what happened a hundred years ago? Why why malting completely left the area? Was it a was it a drought? Was it a, a blight? Was it? It was a, a number of things, but uh, farming practices had a lot to do with it. But uh, the head blight came in and, and took out most of the crops, uh, including hops as well. The farming practices of the day were repetitive and really, really took a toll on uh, on the soils and depleted them, and which uh, brought in, uh, you know, probably had a lot to do with bringing in the diseases that came in and took it out. Uh, 
but uh, you know malting has been around still in, in the 80s in Buffalo uh, but all the barley was was imported at that time okay. for the last hundred years so and then uh, you know then prohibition came in and took it all out completely <laughs> and when it came when it came back of course technology uh, brought it back to where uh, Midwest upper Midwest and Manitoba Saskatchewan where where barley grows really nicely up there they have to irrigate they have to uh, it's really cold, so there's no bug problems, no fungus problems, and all the malt houses, uh, commodity malt houses, popped up around, uh, you know, came right out of out, out of Western New York and up, up into the uh, up into Canada and mid to upper west. I guess question for both of you: Is this area really good for growing barley, or is it um, is it a chore? Well, I, I think Ted will affirm this, but it it can be a bit of a chore. Yeah. In in as much as you know, we have a nice growing season, but I think the vagaries of weather are a bit more impactful in western New York than, say, out in uh, North Dakota right. um, or up in northern or Saskatchewan. The relative humidity, um, Ted said that they have to irrigate barley out in the Midwest mm-hmm. because it's so dry. And this particular year, um, probably fairly similar to uh, some of the barley growing regions in Idaho, actually. It's just been right. so hot and dry. Um, winter barley did very well. If the barley was planted in the winter and had a chance to develop its roots, mm-hmm. you know, and, and tiller some in the fall, then it was in better stead, you know, better able to handle the drought stress. So winter barley did fairly well, and I think the spring barley's not as well because they were impacted more severely by the drought. Yeah. So it, it we do have in our arsenals, you know, winter and spring barleys. It's you just never really know what what the ensuing summer will be like and what what really is going to do best one year at a time. So it's that guessing game, um, the high humidity. But other than that, you know, it's I think it I think it's viable. So you guys yeah. are just gluttons just crop for punishment. Insurance. I think there's been a push to get uh, crop insurance on mal- malting barley in western New York. That mm-hmm. will help because of the vagaries of of success. Gotcha. Right. USDA just started up uh, crop insurance for five counties in New York State right now, and it's a pilot program. So uh, Genesee County, Monroe, and uh, several in the mid-state and Red Hook area uh, – so it's, it's going to be a pilot program. We need these farmers to succeed to to for this uh, insurance to succeed, and uh, uh, it's a it's very fickle fickle uh, crop. Uh, the farmers are maybe forty to fifty percent successful. So, which means you are actually fifty percent. Holy cow! Not successful. <laughs> so uh, it's a uh, it's a tough go right now. Uh, we have been working with Cornell, and Cornell's been making or been doing. Uh, Variety trials for the last five years. I think they're four years into the winter, and or five years into the winter uh, varieties, and, and four years into the spring varieties. And I have some right up the road of some spring varieties. And with the drought we had this year, a lot of it didn't even get knee high. It was, it was pretty sad. So this isn't something that somebody could do in their backyard. <laughs> Definitely not. Because <laughs> uh, I'm well, growing hops. I, I, I don't think I could grow. Uh, barley in my backyard, despite, I mean, my wife certainly wouldn't let me do it. Sorry, the kids can't play back there. That's where the barley's growing. You can always stick, stick in a few hops vines. Oh, I've, yeah, I've got a couple. And they're, they are. They're doing great this year, and I think this is my fourth year on it, too. 
Uh, Bob, is there is there a number of years you can get out of hops before you have to to take them out and replace? Um, not really. Um, hops take about three to four years before they become sufficiently established mm-hmm. for a, um, a viable crop. Um, three years usually. Four years, they kind of hit a plateau. Okay. Um, and subsequently, it, it just, uh, you know, kind of plateaus off and, and levels off. Um, I have seen, matter of fact, just down the road from me is a, uh, a, a hop that was planted, golly, about the, the owner of the house estimates um, 80 to 90 years ago. Oh, wow. And, yeah, the thing grows up and it, it just kind of climbs up a telephone pole and just is very productive. Hops are needed, but you know, uh, you know, there's malt is the the beef and the the tomatoes and the tomato sauce. You know what I mean? I like that the beef and yeah. the tomatoes and the hops. Well, malt, like the salt malt, and pepper. Malt is hops the hops. The oregano. There you go. Yeah. Well, I I look at it this way: hops is the heart of the beer, or no, malt is the heart of the beer. <laughs> there you go. Hops yeah, are the sex right. organs. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Hops are the sex organs. <laughs> ha. Hey, hey, there you go. All right. So, uh, is this a family show? It can be. It doesn't have to be. Um, so, where is Niagara Malt? Actually, we're in the town of Cambria. Okay. But we have a Lockport address. So, we're on uh, located on Lower Mountain Road, 4329 okay. Lower Mountain Road in Lockport. And I, I've gotten uh, Niagara Malt now from from Niagara Tradition. Can people yeah. come out to you and purchase malt directly from you? I, I will wholesale, but, you know, I, I really like the Dysters, and we, we, uh, they, they've pushed my product, so I, I'm always uh, happy to deliver bags to them and, and, you know, kind of let them be the, the disperser of the product. Yeah. I do sell to the, to the home brewers and the public right out of my malt house. Um, so we do smaller bad, you know, I can sell in one pound to 10 pounds. Uh, okay. Packaging. Uh, so, and we do have an online store as well uh, at NewYorkCraftMalt.com. You can just go onto our online store and buy there, and we can ship it to you, or you can you can pick it right up at the malt house. And don't Ted, don't forget your uh, your barley soap. Oh yes, at, at, yes, we have a uh, very nice goat milk soap we make with you know that that herb. Uh, you know that we have a hop in the shower, which is uh, we have hops in it. From, uh, one of the local farmers, and we have uh, wheat malt in there, very exfoliating, very smells great. And uh, we have a couple other soaps. So soaps, uh, huh? Soaps, gold milk soap. Yeah. <laughs> right, we were we were talking hey, Bob's Bob. hops. Ted, you you've got smoking wood out there too. Yes, yes, maybe eight different kinds of woods. Pear, we have peach, we have plum, uh, uh, apple, hickory. And I'm going to go over it all again, probably. But uh, we, we have about eight different kinds of woods that are doing great. We 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 have uh, been selling all over the state. Uh, you got to mention the name when when you can. I sold quite a bit to uh, Blue Point that uh, uh-huh. uh, that I sell regularly too, and uh, they bought a lot of smoke malt from me. And yeah, yeah, smoked is uh, is, a, is a very specialty malt, and it, it's very robust. Depends on the wood you use, and uh, it's a nice technique. Hey, we're about 20 minutes in. Wanted to keep it to about 30 minutes. Is it all right if we go through the malting process? Sure. Who do we want to start with? Sure. Let's start, uh, Ted. You were just talking. If we could, if we could start with you, you're growing, you're growing the barley. Uh, first step after, after you look at it and go, I, I think it's time. 
What do you do? Well, uh, as soon as it's harvested, it has to be analyzed. Uh, so right now, Hartwood College uh, started up a brand-new laboratory there for for barley grain and for malt uh, analysis. So uh, not all, all grains are accepted at the malt house. There are the criteria that has to be met uh, before the grain is accepted. Uh, many different factors from germination rates to proteins to falling numbers and or RVA testing. Um, it all has to be in good order before it's accepted in the size of the kernels as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you want me to go through the whole process. Bob wants to jump in there at any time, but it's steeping, germinating, and kilning. And all of us uh, have a different method, different techniques, uh, different equipment that we do all this with. So, uh, right. you know, I, I, I use my system. I use a separate steeping vessel that I steep out uh, all my grains, which is bringing up the moisture content of the grain. Uh, to a, a certain uh, moisture content, and then I transfer to the germination tanks uh, where it's germinated, and then I kiln in those tanks as well. So it's a seven-day process uh, once we get the grain in the door. So, Bob, can you explain what the germination does? Yeah, the um, well, the, the steeping, of course, the, the grain is put in, and um, I, I do mine in one-ton batches. So one ton of the dry grain going in will ultimately steep out to about two and a half tons. So you, it really swells with wow. um, a, a little, maybe, you know, maybe a little over two tons total. So you're taking on a lot of water. And once it's hydrated, then you want to gently blow air through that grain bed. So the grain bed, you know, depending on the diameter of your tank, might be 24 to 30 inches deep. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep evacuating the CO2 because as those seeds activate, the embryo becomes, you know, becomes alive. Um, enzymes in the seed coat are being activated. And what one of the first steps in the whole process of germination is the endosperm is the little starch package at the heart of the seed. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's kind of that starch storage that's going to fuel germination. And so that, that starch packet is encased in a protein matrix. And the protein is fairly hydrophobic, meaning it, it will repel water. But as it is softened, enzymes, protease enzymes, protein-degrading enzymes will start to be assembled and then move through the endosperm and break down the starch of the protein matrix, hey, Scott. making that starch now porous. Bob is a teacher. He's a science teacher. This is going <laughs> over everybody's head. <laughs> no, well, I'm, I'm yeah. curious. Sorry about that. But, you know, the bottom line is, stuff, the, well, the, the endosperm, the, you need to degrade that protein, and that kind of opens up channels so that the endosperm, the starch, becomes almost like Swiss cheese. And that's what's called modification, or you, know, you improve the granular structure of that starch. And the idea of germination is to open it up, and the starches will soften. Um, there'll be some sugar release to kind of power the development of the little rootlets. So it, 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 you're fooling the seed. You're trying to get the seed to think, oh, you're in the ground. You're ready to germinate. You're ready to become a plant. 
And so it will germinate for about three and a half, four days, growing out that little rootlet, Mm -hmm. um, growing its little shoot. And once the shoot is about as long as the kernel itself, once the rootlets are about one and a half to two centimeters long, you have to dry it down because you need to kill the embryo because you want it to stop growing now. Right. But you need to preserve those enzymes because that's what the brewers will need. Uh-huh. So they need, when you sell them, when Ted and I sell them malt, they're expecting the malt to have, you know, lots of intact starches that are readily available and the enzyme package that will break the starch down into sugar. Because all starch is are just long chains of sugar. I uh, I put malt in two categories. I put it in a, a base malt and a specialty malt. Right. And and Bob's talking totally about uh, base malts where you need to preserve all those enzymes, which is done with with uh, a lot of air and a little heat. You don't want to kill those enzymes. But the more you the more darker and the more specialized malts you you get into, it's more just color and taste from there. Right. But uh, it's very important. Base malts have to be treated with kit gloves, and you really have to know what you're doing. Now, Ted, at at this point, to make something more uh, mm-hmm. like a crystal malt, for example, what what would you change? What would be different? Well, crystal malt is uh, is, a, is a malt that is uh, been stewed. So, first of all, you have to uh, your first three steps: you're you're steeping, you're germinating, uh, and then you're kilning. But before you, the first usually your first uh, phase of kilning is, is a free dry period. Uh, but if you're going to make a crystal, you need to stew it, which means you, you have to bring back around, uh, uh, you recirculate all your really hot, moist, you know, uh, air right through the grain bed again. So you do that for quite a while. Uh, once it's stewed uh, and you're basically liquefying the endosperm at that point and, and opening, you know, really bringing out the sugars in it, you take that green malt, uh, it's called green malt. You still have all the rootlets on it. It's still mm-hmm. very, very moist. Uh, and you put it in a roaster. And I have a drum roaster that you put it in. Uh, and then you roast it from there. Uh, and there's a, there's steps to, to, uh, go through the roasting, uh, process. But, uh, that's how you make crystal malt. It, it's a stewed product from the, uh, from the green malt. And then you can go on, uh, after that making a, uh, a Vienna or a Munich in, in your regular kiln. Okay, uh, but that, that's how you make crystal, and you can do that with wheat. You can do it with rye. You can do. You can make crystal uh, anything. You can if, if grain, any kind of seed will grow. Uh, you can malt it. So, as a home brewer, if I'm if I'm picking up, and again, I'm looking at it right now, twenty um, something pounds of local malt, I can expect the same efficiency out of that as I could one of the national brands, right? Well, I I was you know one of the nice things about. Um, uh, Hartwick College's, uh, it's the New York Center for uh, Craft, Food, and Beverage. Mm-hmm. So the Hartwick College, Hartwick College is the place where uh, we send our things for testing. One of the tests that they do on the malt, of course, is extract. Yeah. And that will kind of um, inform you what the, you know, the extractable sugars and, and materials are going to be. And I think whether it's um, a Midwestern malt or myself, I can speak for myself, it's, it's always in the um, lower to mid-80s. Okay. 
Is that similar to an? I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> is that similar well, I, to the extractability of of a national, say, a, a breeze? Well, I would say it's it's um, comparable. Yes. All right. That was good yeah, enough. We're, yeah, we're getting better. We're getting better <laughs> supply. We're getting the farmers uh, to grow better. Yeah. Uh, the maltsters are getting better. Uh, in the beginning stages of all this, uh, you know, the commodity malts, everybody's used to calling up on the phone. It shows up to your door, and you can count on it all the time. So there's just so many different factors yeah. uh, that go into locally grown, locally malted products. So uh, it's a great thing. The local board challenge is on, but... Uh, Humidities and, and ambient temperatures are playing a game with even the brewers can say you know their their product can't doesn't come out the same every time because uh, it's close uh, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of variations with with Mother Nature that plays with our uh, our products and uh, but at the end of the day I think uh, both Bob and I are making a, a great great product. So the uh, <laughs> Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition says here right on Niagara Tradition. Uh, nthomebrew.com celebrating the explosion of barley and hop production in West New York Niagara Tradition and Niagara Malt would like to sponsor an in-house competition entry deadline is September 10th I'm going to have a beer in it um, I'm putting together a steam beer for my brother-in-law's rehearsal dinner nice just just to kill two birds with one stone when I walked into Niagara Tradition I said I, I want all local malt give me everything you can and um, uh, my base malt I went Niagara Malt but my uh Munich, I believe, came from uh, New York Craft Malt. Unless right. I'm wrong, is then so <laughs> you be have a Karamunic, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. good stuff. Uh, like I said, it's it's over ninety five percent local. I think the only thing I couldn't get was uh, Victory or something, or that I couldn't go local on. But everything else is going to be local, and if I can get my hops in it from my house in time, oh, I'll man. have my hops in it too. So if you want to get in on that, head up to Niagara Tradition, get some get some Niagara malt, get some New York craft malt. Uh, the deadline for that is September 10th. And uh, the beers must be 80% Niagara malt, um, which I, I they might have changed based on there, me. Bob? I know, right? <laughs> good stuff. Good for you, man. <laughs> uh, it's their first year doing it. So, uh, so yeah, like I said, we'll stuff. see how local we can go on this beer. Uh, but let's end it up, if you guys don't mind telling us where we can, not where we can buy it, because obviously Niagara Tradition has it, and uh, Ted, you said we can get it right up at, at your place there. Um, right, right. Where right. would you like people to find you online? Website, Facebook, Twitter? Well, we're, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on uh, Instagram, did I say that? Facebook, uh, my wife does a great job with, with all that. Uh, I'm the maltster, I'm out in the malt house, but... We, we, I'm going to give you an exclusive, Scott, that uh, uh, New York Craft Malt will now be distributed through Country Malt Group uh, oh, nice. for my Erie Canal Pale Malt, our Genesee Valley Vienna Malt, and our Upstate Hard Red Wheat Malt. So that's uh, that's something uh, that I've been working on a long time, and it, it is now coming to uh, fruition, and uh, I'm very excited about the, uh, the collaboration with them. That's great. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah, I've been working on it a while, and uh, and it's uh, it's finally coming around, and uh, it, it, I'm I'm very excited about it. So, guys, thank you again for for calling, and I'm sorry it it went almost 40 minutes, but thank you. So once again, thank you to Bob Johnson and Ted Hawley for being on this episode. Again, it's NiagaraMalt.com and NewYorkCraftMalt.com to see both of their websites and check them out. 
at their places of business, or you can, of course, get either of their malts out at Niagara Tradition. And we will see you on the next episode. Again, if you haven't already, please rate and review us on iTunes. Go to Drink This Buffalo and tell us what kind of beer you're into right now. Give us a call at 716-391-CAST, 716-391-2278. And I will see you on episode 29. Once again, thank you to the Rearview Ramblers. <laughs>